if you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. I was doing my breakfast dishes this morning, turned the garbage disposal on, and then heard that terrible noise when you know something is in the disposal, but like you can totally tell the damage has already been done. Sure enough, it was an easy peasy tiny spoon, totally shredded, which if I've learned anything about these baby lead weaning spoons from Easy Peasy is that the garbage disposal and the dog both love them. And I was bummed because it's one of my favorite colors that they make, the light gray line, which is called pewter. But my garbage disposal disaster, I guess it came at just the right time because Easy Peasy is having their annual Mother's Day sale from this Friday to Sunday, so May 10th to 12th. You can get 20% off all of the Easy Peasy feeding gear with the affiliate discount code BLWMOM on orders of $50 or more. So this is a great time to stock up at 20% off because my regular Easy Peasy code is usually only for 10% off. So this bump up to 20% off is nice, but it's just for three days. So head to easypeasyfun.com to grab tiny spoons, their tiny cups, and the best suction mats and bowls for baby lead weaning. They have a really cool new bundle maker on their website if you want to group or piece a few items together or If you just don't want to think about it, then just grab one of the Easy Peasy First Foods sets. It has everything you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods with baby led weaning. That code is BLWMOM for 20% off Easy Peasy orders of $50 or more now through Sunday, May 12th at easypeasyfun.com. And happy Mother's Day to you. And I let the kids tell me, tell me about the vegetables that you do enjoy. So what I encourage families to do is make a list of those things and making sure that the quantity of fruits and vegetables, even if the variety is minimal, that the quantity gets there. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Alrighty. Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. You are welcome. It is such a pleasure as always to be able to talk to you. I usually get to see you because I know we've done a number of Instagram lives together and This topic that we're going to talk about today, which is writing your family's food story, it really strikes a chord, a good chord with our audience. So I'm so excited that you can be on the podcast because we haven't had a chance to do it in this format to kind of talk about writing our family's food story. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity because stories happen in so many ways. They happen in writing, they happen on podcasts, and they happen with food. So I think this is a perfect segue to our conversation. And I love your background because you hear stories. And when I first met you, I heard you telling a story. I first met you at the Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives conference a number of years ago now. And I was like, oh my gosh, she is a mom. She is also a doctor. She is also a chef. Like (laughs) this lady is like talking to people on so many different levels, but really your overarching message was about food. So I'm just curious for our audience who's not familiar with your story, could you back it up and just tell us a little bit about your background? Because you have a very unique skill set that combines a lot of different areas, like nobody else on the planet. (laughs) Well, that's so funny. It's really true. Well, well, the first funny part that I'm not sure if you know, I was an English major and I always wanted to write and I've always loved books and I've always loved stories. 
And when it came time to have a career, I really wanted to do something that I know I could support myself that would be a great career. And in an internship at Brigham Women's Hospital, I just fell in love with medicine. And so I took a turn and I went to medical school and I really just fell in love with taking care of families. I always wanted to be a pediatrician. I really didn't consider any other specialty. So when I went into pediatrics and and started seeing patients, I was just I felt a little unprepared for really helping these families do what is the one of the most elemental things of parenting and good health, which is feeding your baby. And of course, we have nutrition, we have science, we have all that background in medical school, but the conversations in the pediatrics office, I find the most valuable ones are talking about, hey, how are things going? How are you feeding your child? And when things go off the rails, kids have trouble and so do their parents whether that's pediatric obesity, high cholesterol, pre-diabetes, all of these problems were getting more and more common, really underlying foundation. And we were all struggling a lot. And I think part of fixing this problem, to me, the joy of fixing the problem wasn't, well, don't worry, we always have medications for that. And I wanted to address this in a more positive and joyful and more elemental manner. And I've always loved food. So I had gone to the Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives conference and met similarly minded people who love food and who love medicine and don't see our role as being prescriptive or, you know, eat this, you need that and just take this medicine. So I decided to take a break and really get the training. So that's when I took time off my medical practice and went to culinary school. I think that is so amazing. Like, so first of all, we have a lot of pediatricians and physicians who are in our audience, a lot of whom are interested in baby led weaning because they're parents and are, but also they get a lot of questions from their patients and they're like, gosh, you know, the reality is, and I just like to remind parents because they go to the pediatrician, but more than 90% of physicians in the United States have never taken a dedicated nutrition class. And so sometimes when you ask your pediatrician or your doctor questions about food, they're struggling at the same level that you are, especially if they're parents, because they're not getting the formal nutrition training. And even if you are formal nutrition training, like if you can't translate it into usable tips about food for parents, it doesn't matter. But I love that you like went to the extent of going. I went to the core. To culinary school. Yeah. Because I wanted to be better equipped. And it's so interesting because it's not only, and I live and work in Palo Alto, California. And so my patient base is very culturally diverse. And what's so fascinating to me is what I use from culinary school. You can imagine I'm a busy mom. I've got teenage boys. I'm not making them hollandaise sauce every day. I'm not doing fish souffle. I'm not utilizing those great techniques that we've learned. Although what I use every day are the language of food. I understand when a family tells me they eat naan and they eat dal. I know what that means. I've made that before. I know Asian flavor profiles. I understand the basic ingredients and techniques that found our daily food culture. And if I don't understand that, I can't begin to have a a relevant and meaningful conversation with that family about what their goals are and how they want to feed their children. Can you tell me a little bit about the patient population that you see in your medical practice? Sure. So I'm a pediatrician, but I have a specialty practice where I see kids who are referred to me by a general pediatrician who have high cholesterol or prediabetes or are struggling with uh, weight gain. And that could be anything from a weight gain that's happened for an illness or an injury or a pandemic, (laughs) or it could be from chronic obesity. So I see children with all kinds of weight issues that could be longstanding, that could be acute. And we really work to 
look at the growth charts, understanding where those graphs, the height graph, the weight graph might be diverging and help set a path forward to helping those come together a little more, you know, just that supports their physical and metabolic health a little bit better. One of the reasons why I love speaking to you is that my entire world is about kids. I have seven kids who are younger than your kids, but I feel like you and I are, I mean, I was probably older when I had my kids than you are. So I feel like you and I are of the same age, except you're like my cool mom friend because your kids are a little (laughs) bit older than mine. Like, and I remember at Healthy Kitchen, Healthy Lives, like taking tidbits of information away from you being like, oh my gosh, her kids are like at the next stage where my kids are going to be. And you had such practical tips. And I remember like I'm getting into the age now where my kids are interested in screens. My oldest is six. And I remember you had like such a cool uh, like bartering system. (laughs) So talk to our audience because like coming down the pike is the screen stuff. Like if you have babies, you're not worried about it. You know, the AP says babies shouldn't watch TV, but like when they become toddlers and kids who do, how do you deal with like having the older kids situation in this era of like everybody wanting screens and we want to reconnect our families with food? What are your tips for success there? Yes. Well, so I have a few tips and it really, really depends on the age. And I think that we are all feeling so much social pressure. It's so fascinating. It's It comes from the kids, but it comes from friends. Like the ages are getting earlier and earlier where kids have devices. And so I think you just have to really set your intention. What do I really want? Are things going off the rails? Is it too much? Or does it feel like a good balance? So I think always realizing that you're in charge and you have permission to check in on that balance. And if that balance isn't going well, you absolutely have permission to course correct. I think for little kids, toddlers especially who love routine and who love, they love guardrails, setting some clear expectations. So for example, we all know that if you start a habit of every time they get in the car, you get a snack or you get a device. If you walk going into the car and they don't have the snack or don't have the device, that's upsetting to them. So I think when you're starting out, being clear about what those guardrails are. If you want to expect your kid to sit in the car without a snack or without an iPad, just start that way and have a special time or a special place. Okay, it's Saturday at three o'clock. It's time for your iPad. Then they, they understand the time and the place for it. And kids really respond well to that. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. Can you talk about the thing where you were training, I forget what you called it, but where you're trading screen time for cooking time? Like they learned how to cut a carrot. I remember like you had videos of that. Okay. There's two things. So then when my kids got a little older and they wanted some more uninterrupted video game time, 
what you'll find with older kids is they're always coming in and out. Hey, get off the game. Hey, I'm not done with the game. And you can, you know, it causes a lot of conflict and a lot of difficult conversations that nobody wants. It's just, it's irritating. (laughs) It's annoying to parents when you say, get off your iPad and they don't. And also what drove, what I learned early on is if on a weekend, the kids knew that they could get up and be on their iPad, they'd get up at five in the morning, like Christmas morning. And then it comes Monday and you can't get them out of bed for school. So what I did is I let them know the rules that if our children wanted their uninterrupted video game time, we would have to participate in family hour of power. So to have two hours of video game time uninterrupted for them, they spent an hour uninterrupted with the family cleaning. What needs to be done? Sweeping the porch, mopping the floor. Oh, that bathroom really needs to be cleaned. Oh, look at all the leaves on the porch. And what I really felt like it taught them was we have a household and part of the weekend is maintaining our household. And I can't do it alone. I'm a working parent. My husband and I can't do all of that effectively. We want them to help. We need them to help. And we want them to learn to see what needs to be done. So after the hour was done, we would give them their video time uninterrupted. So then they trust that we're not going to say, hey, get off your game. Hey, get off your game. And we'd set timers. And that was a win-win for everyone. So that was a really nice way to help them understand we're a family. We have the work of the house is the work of the family. And then downtime, their enjoyable reward time, they choose to be on their iPad. I choose to read a book with a cup of coffee. So in that age group, that really worked well. The other thing that we decided to do was, of course, they started nagging us for phones. So, oh, my friend's got a phone. This Joe's got a phone. Sam has a phone. We felt like they were too young for phones. And I felt in particular that having a phone, of course, is a mature responsibility. I also think knowing how to cook is something that they should learn to do. And it's, I really felt that for them, learning how to cook and being able to make a few simple dishes was really something important that they learn moving into their adulthood. So I made a deal with them that they would be eligible for a phone when they had mastered 10 dishes, four main courses, three vegetable sides, two hot breakfasts, and one perfectly dressed salad. Because those were the things that I felt were really elemental to developing their own capability and capacity in the kitchen. So when my son would say, mom, I want a phone, I'd say 10 dishes. Let me know when you're ready and I'll teach you how to cook. And I love in your presentations, you always have like real life snippets from your family of like your kids up there and cooking with you. It's not perfect in stage, which is like so annoying about social media. Like your stuff is real. It's like, oh my God, here's my kids are giving me some flack, but get up here and cut some carrots with me. And I think you drive home that message of it is so important for children to be engaged in food. Like we can't expect them to know about food if we don't let them interact with it. Exactly. For parents who are listening, their kids are a little bit younger, babies, toddlers. I know you work with families with children of that age though. Do you have tips for families to start incorporating even from early stages? I mean, obviously you can't have a six month old wielding a knife, but like, how do you get the younger kids involved in food preparation early on? Well, I think you touched on exactly that. It's not just food preparation and it's not just task oriented. Now that my kids are older, I can say, hey, we have a few tasks to do for dinner. Do you want to cut the carrot? Do you want to cut the cucumber? Do you want to scrub the potato? Or do you want to mop the floor? (laughs) But for younger kids, understanding food and experiencing food. And when you go to the grocery store and somebody is in the carriage, I would recommend giving them something from the produce aisle to explore. So instead of handing them a device to distract them, hand them a potato, hand them a papaya hand them an artichoke. An artichoke is something so interesting. It has so many different 
colors and textures? What does that smell like? And engaging them experientially, even when they're not eating, I think is a really important way to help kids understand food. I think it's so great to take kids to the farmer's market. Hey, meet Mario. He grows strawberries. Mario, do you have a sample today? Mm, What does that smell like? What does that taste like? Having these conversations, understanding that people grow the food that nourishes us, introducing them to the people, especially when they can see them week after week. What does Mario have today? Let's go to the market. What do you think Mario is growing this season? Now it's winter. What grows in the winter? Those conversations and those tactile experiences, I think, are so important to include young children in as they're learning about food. And a lot of our audience is interested in baby led weaning and they come to it as oftentimes a second time parent because perhaps they have a picky toddler, which through no fault of their own, you guys, oh yeah, uh, of course, all children never. will <laughs> experience some degree of picky eating and they wonder, okay, with my second, I really want to do more of a baby led approach. Any tips on how to get my toddler involved? And I say, yeah, get the toddler involved, like really take advantage of that competitive nature of toddlers, which is the baby is trying a new food. (laughs) Tell him what color it is. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Do you want to be brave and try the artichoke? You can, even with the older child who might not or be a little reticent to new foods, you can engage them from food, even if you haven't done it from the beginning. And that's what I love about your message. It's like, it's never too late to reverse course. And I was curious if you could speak about that next for the parents who are listening, who feel like they themselves maybe don't have the best relationship with food and they don't want to replicate that in their children. Could you talk a little bit about this idea of writing your family's food story? Oh yeah, of course. Well, it's so interesting that we all have our own food story. And most of that begins with when I was growing up, my family did this. My family fed me this. This was our circumstance. My food story is that my parents divorced when I was young. So we had two single parent households and cooking wasn't a priority. My mother was a busy working single mom. We ate a lot out of boxes. My dad actually had taken a cooking class. So we ate, we ate differently at his house. We weren't there all the time. So he took a little more time uh, to make meals on the weekends that he had us. So I remember the smells at his house and the flavors. And at my mom's house, things were a little more utilitarian. Our food story comes from where we grew up. Our food story comes from what our parents loved. What did they enjoy serving to us? And if your story, it's easy to see where the flaws were or what you'd like to be different. And it's such a beautiful opportunity to do things a little different for your children. Maybe you were forced to eat foods that you didn't like. Maybe your parents didn't allow you to have certain things that you really loved. Really think about what that meaning is to you. And it's a great opportunity to think, how do I want my children to feel around food at my table? And I think that's just a great place to start because as parents, and what I love about having so many great friends who are parents and working moms, we all want the same thing. We want to enjoy mealtime with our kids. We want them to come to our tables. We want to develop trust. And I think that relates a little bit to the picky eater. And I see a lot of kids in clinic and the parents are frustrated and they come in, oh, they'll only eat this and they don't like this. And and the child feels guilty. They feel blamed and the parent feels frustrated. And what I try to do in those situations is reframe that pickiness a little bit. Well, first of all, in an area of it just hasn't happened yet. This child isn't a kid who loves 48 different kinds of vegetables. 
so they're not the ones bragging about their, you know, kale chips that they have every day. These kids aren't, you know, loving 17 different kinds of salad. That's okay. And most likely that will change as they grow. Some kids remain very narrow in their choices, but as long as they have a few fruits, a few vegetables that they will reliably eat every day, it's probably okay. It's probably fine that they don't have a huge repertoire of fruits and vegetables that they love to eat. And that could be very different from their sibling who loves to explore this and that and try this with that and have a lot of different kinds of different experiences with food. Sometimes I think this is a little bit like music. Some people are always waiting for their new playlist to drop. Some people can't wait for the new artist to drop an album to get it on their running mix. And some people have run to the same Madonna running mix for 20 years. And they're still alive to tell about it. And they're fine. And that pleases them. And it doesn't bother them. And they don't need the same variety and that same experience with diversity as other kids need and seek out. Some kids are extremely adventurous in their wardrobe choices. They wouldn't dream of wearing the tights they were yesterday or the same tutu they had on the day before. It's always new. It's always different. And some kids don't need that variety. And we'll wear the same blue shorts (laughs) day after day with the same blue t-shirt. And that's fine for them. I'm sure, Katie, you notice this in your children. Some kids are really seeking out adventure artistically, whether it's the colors that they choose to wear or the foods they tend to eat. And they're just different. And that's fine. And just to play the devil's advocate here, though, because you mentioned that some kids aren't just going to be into 17 types of salad. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. However, just like you really cannot send your kid to school in the same dirty blue shorts every day. Like there is some onus on us as parents to introduce some, especially with regards to diet, some of the diet diversity, because the research does show us that the more exposures babies have. So I do like the message that don't feel stressed if your baby's not eating a hundred different foods, but also they don't wake up on their fifth birthday, magically liking 17 types of salad if they've never seen a vegetable. Exactly. Exactly. And you make such a great point that exposure is important. And I think that's exactly where your audience is for baby led weaning the more exposures you give now, the diversity, the variety, the joy, the interest, and the lack of pressure. And just like, it's an exploration. It's a curiosity together. Hey, how does this taste? How does this taste dipped in this? How does this go with this? You're not interested in that? Okay, fine. A couple days later, it comes back. And all of that work and all of those tries and I hate to call them fails, but all those tries and lack of acceptance, that retry, all of that is so important for laying a foundation for later in life, picking those things back up, re-engaging with those experiences that they've had positively as an infant and as a toddler. Absolutely. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And I think a lot of our parents feel stressed sometimes. Like, I myself don't like 17 different types of mushrooms. And so I always remind parents, like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, there are very good resources out there for you. And one of the reasons why I love chatting with you, because I just think your message is so down to earth and 
something that people can really do. But I also want to let our audience know that you have a fabulous resource yourself. You guys, Julia wrote a book called The New Family Table, and the subtitle is Cooking More, Eating Together, and Staying, parentheses, Relatively (laughs) Sane. And I love this book because it's not like, oh, all of a sudden your baby's going to just start eating unsalted kale chips and you're going to be this amazing mom. It's this progression of like, listen, if you want some ideas of different ways you can incorporate vegetables or whole grains or high iron foods, like these are real life recipes with, I love just the global palette in your cookbook, but it's not over the top things that families are never going to do. And could you just tell us a little bit about how you came to select some of those items that were in there? Because I'm sure some of it's based on the experiences you're seeing in your clinic and with your own family. Of course. Of course. Well, you know, it's funny. I wrote the book just because, you know, I was an English major and I love stories and I love writing and I really love cookbooks. And I know that we can get so many ideas on the internet and there's so much that's available. But I think having a bookshelf, it's just like engaging your children with reading, having things on your shelf and having the beautiful pictures and having resources there. I still go to my cookbooks all the time. And for kids too, go in that cookbook and you pick out three things you want to make. Yes. And I had this great experience. I had the opportunity at Healthy Kitchens to meet Molly Katzen, who is a very Mm -hmm. famous cookbook author and focuses so much on beautiful vegetarian food. And I was just chit-chatting with her and um, we had the opportunity to have a, a, you know, just a sweet conversation together. And she asked me about my family and she asked me about my kids and I told her their ages and she said, oh, that's great. Would you write down your address? A week later, she had sent them each a cookbook inscribed to each one that was age appropriate. Dear Andrew, I really hope you enjoy this book. Dear Benjamin, good luck on your cooking journey. And I can tell you those kids treasured those books and they went to them and looked at the pictures and could follow the instructions and having that as something that they could hold and have as their own and have as their own part of their story as they had their own personal guide and Molly Katzen. And they would say, I want to make this recipe. All I had to do was get the ingredients. Yeah, I would. Some nights I wish my kids would just pick out the recipes. I hate picking them out. I love yeah. cooking. Oh, I know it's so much energy. But I wish someone else would just pick it out for me. Exactly. Like yeah. the plan. Well, and this is what I like to do in terms of, you know, not to make kids feel badly or unsuccessful or that the variety is a key to their success. But I let, I know I let kids be in charge. And, and this is a little for older kids. But when, when the parents are struggling, I try to really just encourage them to relax about it and to take stock about what their children will eat. And as you said, they really do need some diversity for their nutritional life. A kid who eats only beige foods, only carbohydrates foods, only high carbohydrate foods, highly refined carbohydrate foods, those kids do tend to have more health issues. And so we really work to develop a core of their diet that's strong and as diverse and as enjoyable as it can be. And I let the kids tell me, well, tell me what, what do you like? Tell me about the vegetables that you do enjoy. Well, I like carrots, cucumber, pears, blackberries. So maybe it comes to five things. Those typically are enough. And so what I encourage families to do is make a list of those things and let kids decide what are their particular nights you'd like to have these things. Do you want me to choose? And making sure that the quantity of fruits and vegetables, even if the variety is minimal, that the quantity gets there. I think that's really a key message. And then as those kids get accustomed, okay, it really is important that I eat a good quantity of fruits and vegetables. Maybe on their own, they'll say, all right, can I try something different? (laughs) Maybe I could add broccoli with the same flavor profile. Maybe I could add green beans. And allowing kids to ask to encourage that variety tends to be a very successful technique. 
And I love that idea of just even having a list, like just write it down. We have a hundred first foods list for parents. Like, listen, if you're getting stuck in the potato, pasta and rice rut, and there's nothing wrong with those foods, but they really are only the tip of the iceberg of the starchy foods that are out there. In my hundred first foods list, there's 20 different types of whole grains. And I'll show you how you can make them safe to feed to your baby. Again, you don't have to go out there and reinvent the wheel. We can just kind of point people in the right direction. And something as simple as a list can really help. Yeah. And sometimes just letting kids, and sometimes parents come to me at a time where they're frustrated. And I totally understand that. And I am, I've been there myself. I have, (laughs) I I have a child who just loves sugar. And if I don't work to it every day, he will just choose the high carbohydrate foods. He will choose, he won't on his own choose a diet that's rich and varied in fruits and vegetables. Do you have any words of wisdom for, I'm thinking of the mom who's out there who's like, yeah, my family food story was written for me. And I think about all the things I don't like about it. And moms who are postpartum and they don't like their body and they don't feel like cooking. And then all of a sudden there's this blank slate in front of you, your six month old child who's just starting solid foods. Any words of wisdom or advice for them? And I say moms, it's mostly moms, but dads and caregivers as well as you're stepping forward into writing your family's food story. Like how can they maybe turn some of those experiences around to do it differently for their family? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's such a great question and such a great thing to think about. And of course, I know for moms, it's not, you almost don't have time to be philosophical and think through everything with great intention, but just think for a minute, gosh, you know, what would I, what do I have the opportunity to do different? And I think acknowledging your food story and there are good parts about it and there aren't good parts about it. That's okay. And understanding your parents were living in a different time and they had their own constraints. They had their own food story that they were working with. They had their own things that were joyful and they had their own information that they were working with. And that's just a different time as well. Now our culture is so inundated with carbohydrate foods that are refined and profitable, high sugary foods. We might have to be different. We do have to be different and more intentional, I believe, to keep our kids healthy and to eat well. I believe that our current cultural norms are not to eat well. If we follow what's currently normal and acceptable and follow kids' menus and preschool snacks. Okay. So Dr. Julia Cooks, I know it's the name of your website, but tell us just a little bit more. Where can we go to learn more about you and your work, your cookbook? Yeah. So there's a few ways so that you can get my cookbook is on my website, Dr. Julia Cooks, and also at some local bookstores up here in the Palo Alto area, Books Inc. My book is also available on Amazon. Also available on Amazon is my new Audible book that was released. So it's something great to listen to just like a podcast and it's on superfoods. And you know me by now, I don't believe that one food or two foods are the panacea for a poor diet, but these to me are foundational foods, foods to build a healthy life on. And there's so many of those same foods that you encourage in your 101st foods. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're incredibly busy and you always make time to share these really practical tips. I love the work that you do and thank you for making food accessible and easy for families to actually enjoy. Yes. And I really enjoy talking to you as well. I love what you're doing and your audience there, you know, so many, we're all wanting to do right and we're all struggling. We all need to help and support each other. It doesn't have to be perfect, but the more you cook and the more you enjoy food with your kids, I think just 
by having that faith and having that joy around food, they will become wonderful eaters. The kind that come back to your table on Thanksgiving when they go to college. <laughs> Hopefully cooking some of the food. Well, yes. thank you again. This was wonderful. Oh, it's so great to talk to you and call anytime. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dr. Julia Cooks. She is for real one of my favorite people in the feeding world. And I think it's because she is so real. She's an amazing clinician. She's like a cool mom. Like we always say, I wish she lived next door. I would totally hang out with her in real life. And I don't get to see her nearly enough, but I'm so grateful that she could come on and talk to us about making food more of an enjoyable part of our lives, even from our baby's first bites. I'll link up Dr. Julia's platforms and her book and everywhere she's at on the web on the show notes for this episode at blwpodcast.com forward slash 88. Bye now. friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.